0: morning good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest hr on the offensive podcast it's me chris howard from lace partners for me recording at this time it's a happy new year because this is the first podcast of 2023 sorry 2024 because that would be going back in time. And I decided to do something slightly different that we're going to do from now on on each of these podcasts. We call ourselves at Lace Partners a fundamentally different consultancy. And so we're going to kick off each of the podcasts in 2024 with a fun, emphasis on fun, the mentally different question. Before I go into that question, I'm going to introduce my co-host for the day. And that is Cathy Acrotopolo, who is our co-founder. Cathy, you all right?
1: I'm good, Chris. Happy New Year
0: to you. Happy New Year. You're excited for a fundamentally different... I'm not going to keep doing that. It's
1: already wearing thin, Chris, but yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) Absolutely. And our guest today,
0: who is going to be talking with us about our campaign that we're running at the moment, which is the Employee Experience Revolution, which I'll go into in a minute, is Kevin Green. He is the Chief People Officer of First Bust. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm fine. and Happy New Year to you both. Happy New Year to you too. I'm going to get you to talk a little bit about your background and obviously the work that you do at First Bus at the moment. But before we do that, as our icebreaker, our fundamentally different question for the first one of this year. So there's been lots of stuff in the press at the moment about floods in the UK and things like that. So that got me to thinking. You've got one of three options here, and I'll let you choose, and please show your workings. So given that we've had so much floods, what would you prefer? So you've built a moat. And you're stuck in your home and nobody can get access to you for 48 hours. You're delighted that you ended up going onto Amazon and buying a kayak and now you can get out of your house. Or you've always enjoyed swimming anyway, so you're going for a paddle.
2: Yeah, well, it's definitely not swimming. I'm not, a, I'm not a great one for swimming. I think I'd actually quite value 48 hours with no contact with human beings because <laughs> quite a busy job, Spend a lot of my time talking, trying to have an active social life. So actually 48 hours with a moat and everyone else being at a distance for a couple of days would not be a bad thing, I think. So I think I'd go for the moat and try and keep the world at bay and, and actually spend a bit of time doing some of the stuff I like, a bit of contemplation, a bit of reading, a bit of up on a box set, whatever next, yeah. You know, a bit like those Covid days.
0: I like it, Cathy. I will let you do that one and then we'll ask Kevin about his background. But what would you choose?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm very tempted to go, as Kevin says, with a bit of isolation for a few days (laughs) because I think that would land well. But I'm going to go for the kayaking on the basis. that always good to try something new. New Year's resolutions, do a bit more sport, a bit of health and fitness, get myself into a kayak. Everyone who knows me is going to be like, she would never do that. But anyway, (laughs) that's what I'm going to go for, for New Year's resolution.
0: Love it. Absolutely love it. And that leaves me with the swimming. So we'll say no more about that. Kevin, talk to us (laughs) a little bit about First Bus, your background, and then we're going to talk a little bit around our EXK campaign and specifically the section of the campaign that we are talking about at the moment, which is lessons from the C-suite, because you've obviously been a CEO and a CPO in your time.
2: So I suppose let's start with the current gig. I've been the chief people officer at First Bus for about two and a half years. I did it for a few months prior to that as an interim, so most probably close to three years now. And I'd sort of gone plural. So prior to that, I'd written my book, gone a non-exec, done some advisory work and did that for two or three years. Prior to that, I was chief exec at the REC, which is the professional body for the recruitment industry. And I was there for 10 years, which was much longer than I anticipated. Prior to that, I was the HR director of Royal Mouth, the core raw mail letters business, which had 165,000 people. And I was there when we did a sort of major turnaround prior to privatization. Before that, ran my own HR consultancy business, so MD owner. So yeah, I've got had a very eclectic career. In terms of First Bus, it's a £1 billion turnover business. We're the second biggest bus company in the UK, about 13,500 people. And the vast majority of those people are either bus drivers or engineers with then the normal sort of marketing, but HR, finance and professional. I suppose the big thing that people would recognise about First Bus is we're going through a major transformation. So one of the reason's I joined female md called Janet Bell who brought together a really good leadership team to reposition the business from being an asset driven business which is it's all about the bus and the timetable to being an organisation which is a service business, which means that we're very much focused on customer and people. And I suppose the reason I said that is it's sort of at the heart of the transformation and I suspect will be at the heart of the conversation we have about customers and employees. So hopefully that's enough. I can talk a lot about myself because I'm renowned for it, but that most probably gives your listeners enough of a handle.
0: I'm going to let Cathy fire in with a, a question off that, but I want to ask you a quick one first. And we just spoke about this briefly just before we went on air. So you've been a CEO and you've been a CPO. This section of our campaign is all around how do you get that on the agenda? And you just talked there around turning into a more people centric organisation. What kind of bit of advice would you Kevin Green, the CPO, offer to Kevin Green, the CEO, in terms of driving that culture and that change, because it can't be easy in a business like yours
2: a major cultural transformation is difficult to do and it takes time and it and it's you know the sort of thing you only normally do once in your career i happen to have found a second opportunity uh, when i was a ceo the sort of advice i'd have given myself was never to lose focus on the people i suppose this goes to the heart of my whole career which is most probably 35 years doing this sort of stuff now and it is easy as a ceo to get focused on product and the finances your it infrastructure you know all of that business driven activity, but at the heart of any organization, particularly a service organization, is the relationship that you have with your people and the relationship your people have with your customer. So I suppose my advice would be always to understand the impact of getting that right can have on your financial performance and the delivery of your strategy, because it is easy to get sidetracked and focus on other stuff. And if I talk about, you know, first bus as a classic example, I mean, when I say an asset and timetable driven business, this is a business that was absolutely... Absolutely obsessed with operational efficiency, and there's nothing wrong with being efficient. But you have to balance stuff. You know, I'm a great believer you have to balance stuff, and and we were driving a culture and a set of behaviours which came home to roost, and we had major structural and people issues because for so long we'd focused on perhaps the wrong thing, or or certainly we weren't balanced in our approach to running the organisation.
1: I think absolutely, Kevin. Now I'd love to explore that link between business transformation, which is trying to shift as you are at first bus to becoming service oriented as opposed to asset oriented and what that means from a employee experience point of view. I mean, as part of our campaign, we've been trying to put forward our perspectives on taking a more holistic approach to people experience and and entering into domains that don't normally sit within the HR function, if you like, in terms of remit, which we can come on to. But I guess what I'd like to explore first is our latest chapter of the campaign, which is very much around the lessons from the C-suite. I can imagine the first bus C-suite conversations and the direct link, if you like, between financial performance of the business and customer experience. And you're trying to become far more service oriented as part of your transformation, therefore customer focused. And therefore, the leap isn't too great, right, to say between the customer experience and the dependency, therefore, on the employee experience for your majority of your workforce being bus drivers or engineers that supporting the depots and so on. How have you sort of structured that conversation around the transformation that's needed from an employee experience perspective? Has it been easy to make that direct link between employee experience, customer experience and business performance, or has that been something that you've had to sort of work through as a C-suite?
2: Yeah, we have had to work through it. There's no doubt. There's no silver bullet. It is many meetings, a lot of thinking. So let me tell you about the process. So one of the reasons why I'm at First Bus is because I've got a chief executive or an MD who gets the people stuff and has run service businesses before, right? So one of the things I always spend my time talking to HR people about is when they talk about, well, they don't get it. They don't, you know, the MD doesn't get it. The management team don't get it. You choose where you work, right? Right. That's my starting point. So if you're really interested in people experience, you've got to be working with a leadership team that are at least open to having the conversation and thinking differently about their organisation. So that's your starting point. What we did was we did some strategy mapping at, right at the beginning. So we built a hypothesis. So we built a hypothesis on all the things that were going on in the organisation. So for example, we had a major crisis post-COVID with drivers. Our turnover went up to 41%, 42%. It cost us 8500 dollars Pounds to train a bus driver from scratch and we were in an incredibly tight and difficult labour market. So a lot of our drivers had gone with us during COVID and we'd come out the other side and they had a moment of reflection and started to think about their lives and a lot of them decided they wanted to work elsewhere in different sectors or retire. Now that meant for us we had a major operational challenge. So for me, that was a bit of a godsend because it gave me the opportunity to go, so what's behind that? So I started off by getting data. So we do engagement surveys every quarter. And in fact, now we're going down to three a year, but really regularly the whole workforce and we look at engagement, empowerment, inclusivity and more importantly emotions, how people are feeling. So what we did at the beginning, we did some focus groups and we collected some data. So why are people leaving the organisation? What is going on? And it became absolutely apparent and we'd already had a report on our approach to EDI from Green Park who had done a deep dive culturally in our EDI strategy which said it was a pretty toxic culture with lots of bullying and lots of harassment. You've got four. 42% turnover and we go, look, how is this sustainable? If we're running a bus company, then if we haven't got enough bus drivers, we don't run enough buses, we don't keep our customers happy, we don't run, you know, the more buses we run, the more passengers we carry, the more money we make, the more we can reinvest. So we had to start to you know, so we basically said what are the fundamentals. So at the top was a financial objective: ten percent margin, turnover target, profitability. There was then four things that we knew would contribute to that. Some of it was about our quest for sustainability and doing a big transformation around electric buses and infrastructure and all of that. But there was stuff about EBIT growth in businesses in in all of our uh, six businesses. There was lots in there about customer and MPS. And so we were very clear at what would drive that financial performance. And then underneath it, we then started to articulate what were the things that our people were saying that was stopping us achieving those things and there was a myriad of them so then when we started to develop our people strategy we were trying to align the interventions that we made so that we could see what that would shift in employees experience and how they felt about the business which would then give us some of the business benefits so it was on one page and it's got lots of arrows and it shows lots of relationships so it was a hypothesis what you then have to do is to start doing the activity and measure again what you think your hypothesis is. If we do the right things, we'll get the right outcomes. So engagement over the last 18 months has gone up from 41 to 57. Fastest our partner impulse have ever seen in any organisation in terms of shifting engagement. We could see inclusivity, but the score about how people felt has shifted from the majority of our people feeling unhappy to the majority of people now feeling happy. Still not where we want it to be, but it's a significant shift. Now, what brought that about? So there was a whole range of things that we've changed. So we had a performance management system for frontline staff. It was 14 pages long, and it started off with lots of data about people's attendance and what they've done wrong and their absence record and any collisions they've had and health and safety breaches. So it demonstrated the mindset of the organization, which is about compliance, command and control. We know best. You do what we tell you to do, and you'll be okay. If you step outside the realms of what we want, then you'll be punished. So that's the mentality. And now what we've moved to is something called a catch-up, which is a 20-minute conversation between frontline manager and frontline staff, and it's about how you're feeling. What's going on for you at home? How can we make this a better job for you? What do we need to do to improve the environment and stuff? So that was a, a big thing. And, you know, every time we've done this, so we're on catch-ups five at the moment, so it's our fifth round. We do it every four or five months. It's voluntary we got 82% of frontline staff participating. So they value it, managers value it, it's making a difference. So that's one. We set out to do a bottom-up change program. So design thinking, we went out and involved frontline staff and frontline managers in all the things that they thought were good about the business and bad and what we needed to do differently. We captured that, we piloted things in four depots, we learned from that experience, we turned it into a blueprint and we're now rolling it out depot by depot. Now, what's interesting is, That's bottom-up change, not top-down, we know best, we're telling you what to do, you've told us what's important, we tested it, we know this works, now how do we replicate it? As part of doing that, we've changed the processes within every depot, when we go in, we work to change the processes that front line managers use to release some time for enabling them to do that. We put in an uh, operational leadership programme so they've got the skills and the confidence, and then we give them a toolkit developed from those pilots designed by the workforce to improve things. And what we can see as we roll that out, and we're about three quarters through. Attrition goes down, engagement goes up, absence goes down. So all the things we wanted. So that's just two things I've done. We restructured the business at the top level. We've done a lot around pay. We've improved benefits. we part of people-centricity. We get the staff to paint the canteens and get new furniture in. I'm running a 25-toilet refurbishment program. Why am I doing that? Because when I first went into First Bus, people would talk to you in a depot and go, well, I wouldn't use the toilets, mate. And you're going... Really? There was a story one day that we'd cut the cleaning budget so the toilets aren't clean. We were just hoping that staff might actually keep the toilets in it. So you can see culturally that we had to do a lot of things. And the point about employee experience and the point about how I described our people strategy, it's integrated. It's a lot of different things all working together to achieve the fundamentals, which is a more engaged workforce with less attrition, less absence, to find this a great place to work. So our byline for our people strategy is a great place to be, work and grow.
1: Fantastic. And I love the way it's sort of the bottom up approach, right? You've listened, you've asked, and you're responding. And that's driving a huge number of initiatives, as you say, that cover a wide range of areas. I mean, one thing that we put forward in this campaign is that a lot of those areas, like you're saying, the toilets, the depot colours, painting, etc., don't typically fall within an HRD or CPO's remit in the sense that that it may well be another functional area support function in the business that owns those aspects of facilities or technology or whatever it is, right, that relates to that experience. But it's so important to think about people experience, employee experience holistically, because if we only play with the elements that are under direct control of HR, we're only actually touching a part of the experience right we're not yeah. looking at the end-to-end experience is that how is that operated <laughs> across your c-suite when different people will own functionally own different aspects of what needs to change
2: sometimes you ask for permission and sometimes you just step into stuff so i'm running a project looking at our uniform and about getting feedback from employees about what we need to do so we can change something and our brand is being rebranded you know we're doing a big piece of rebrand we're measuring customer more so uniforms is usually important to customers so people can identify with us, but it's got to be comfortable, you know, and why wouldn't you be involved? So, you know, I'm getting heavily involved in that and leading a project on that. I've got involved in toilet refurbishments, but perhaps the biggest one is actually a piece of work that we're doing around shift and rosters. So this is how we actually structure the work for our people. Now, this is clearly owned by operations. Two fundamental issues right at the beginning. I feel unappreciated and my work-life balance is poor because we have very long shifts. We were short we're expecting people to do loads of overtime. And we have something which we could tell are people are unhappy about, which is we wouldn't enable them to give them predictability. So if you're in the general roster, you may end up working early, then middles, then late. And, and the one thing people want is even if they work a shift pattern, they want to be able to organize their life. So how do we change a fundamental big structure of how you run a bus company and turn it into something which is much more flexible, much more in tune with what our people want, while also trying to be operationally efficient and provide. So we've ended up doing a lot of work and we're doing some experiments around that. And that's an interesting word. I talk about pilots and experiments a lot. You've just got to take stuff and try stuff and learn from it. You know, I'm a great believer in that we need to run. So I think HRs too, we know best. That's what we're going to do. We've designed it and then we rolled it out. We don't co-create. We're not agile. We don't work with other people. So, for me, a lot of this is about how you work with a business, which is about code creation. It is about projects and programs. And it is about making sure that you focus on the stuff that's going to have an impact for your people. So, I hope that gives you a couple of examples of where we're yep. doing stuff, which is clearly not in the HR's traditional remit.
1: Absolutely, Kevin. And I guess the powerful thing around that is that you're aligned, right? At as, as the C-suite, you are aligned on why each of those elements is so important, because you've been through that strategic review, you've been data-driven, you've been insight-driven to understand that each of those elements is key in the journey to sort of make the change happen. You mentioned that one of the burning platform aspects of why things needed to shift was around the attrition of your driver population, in particular post-COVID. How is what you're doing and what you are planning to do, how has that enabled you to sort of reset your employee value proposition to the market? Is it enabled you to sort of articulate why working for First Bus now is better than working for another bus company or other Employers that you would compete with. Have you been able to sort yeah. of rearticulate that in a way that has affected your attraction of talent?
2: Yeah, we have. I mean, we had high attrition, and we were finding it very difficult to hire bus drivers and engineers, to be honest. So we've had to look at the experience and how we position that externally. And I don't think we're really interested in competing against other bus companies. I mean, that's a part of it. It's much more about people that you know, maybe working in hospitality, might drive for Amazon, might work for a logistics company, whatever. So again, we are much more interested in looking at local labour markets and how we compete with those. So you're absolutely right. We've looked at what we pay, our benefits. We've put in something. So we got lots of feedback that people are finding it very difficult to get GP appointments. And obviously, we're interested in that in terms of absence. So we've put in place a cash benefit system and a free private sector GP service. So our staff can ring up. Now, one of the things I've talked about is lots of things that cost money. So, one of the things that I think your HR leaders that are thinking about employee experience need to recognize is you do need to potentially invest in lots of things, but you've got to get the measurement right. So, you've got to be. So, I've, I get arguments all the time in the C suite. Well, that's great, Kim. You're in for some more money. Now, what do you want to spend it on? All the time, right? So, I'm, I'm just about to introduce a new comms process, which is frontline called Team Talks. And that's going to cost us a million a year because I have to pay people to attend the sessions, right? We're doing a new people system, which LACE helping us with, which is going to cost us multiple millions of pounds. Out. The bottom up cost of six. All of that is big investment. However, you have to have the other side. So I have to demonstrate that this stuff has an impact on bringing new bus drivers in, retaining bus drivers, reducing absence, improving engagement, which then means we start to get some of the. Productivity improvements and the feeling within the organization is better. So, there's lots of things. So, you have to do two things at the same time. You can't just ask for the investment and believe that people are just going to trust you. We hope it's going to work. That's why the whole strategy map and that thing about measurement is so critical because you have to have. So, I can track through our hypothesis and how we're performing the things that we've done and what's had an impact, big an impact it's had on how the customers feel about us, the frequency of our bus services, and the more customers on our buses, basically, than there was a a year ago. So I think you have to be a business person to be able to engage in this work really. You can't just think about it's doing good things for people and doing nice HR interventions because you're never going to get the C-suite support and you're never going to get the funding to do what you need. You have to take the risk of putting your head on the line to say, if you give me the investment, this is the outcomes we're going to get. And then you have to deliver those outcomes
0: yeah and what's interesting about that and i'd just like to get your views on this actually because one of the things i'm fascinated about we spoke to a cmo and i've I've spoken to a couple of people actually around this the importance of storytelling using that data to be able to tell a story so can i get some just views from your perspective like because obviously you have to be a good debater you have to be able to be able to say i'm doing all of this work i've got all this data and now i'm able to tell a story of it and that's why i need more money from you guys
2: the mindset that we've been trying to change is quite deep set. We've been around, I don't know, 80 years in some kind of shame, shape, and bus companies have been run this way for 30 or 40 years. So when you go, actually, I want to d- we want to do this differently, the first question is, why? It sort of worked. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to change this? So you have to have a narrative. You have to have an explanation of the labor market's getting tighter. We're in a, a, a really shrinking pool of people that potentially would do these jobs. We've got to think differently about the jobs. So we can attract different people and the reason for that is that it means we can get enough bus drivers to do the jobs that we need them to do and we also need to retain them so you do need a new narrative so there's first of all we did a big piece of work around our target operating model went from 10 companies down to six I put all the mds and their teams at risk now you don't do that lightly so you can tell that at the c-suite we've had to have a debate about why we needed to get the right excuse the part the right people on the bus as we started this journey so we needed the right leaders that would accept that we're now going Going to bonus them on engagement. And actually, it's their people. It's not me. They own the relationship with the people. That's why I'm giving them data every quarter and holding them to account and putting it in leadership and management bonuses, is because they manage the, the people. They manage the experience. I'm helping them with the tools, the thoughts, and the ways of doing it. So there's a lot in that, really. But you're absolutely right. You've got to be able to create a narrative around this about customer and business results and show that what you're doing is going to have. an impact on those and then get people to believe so i have to go to conferences i have to talk to the mds my team has to go out and engage with people across the business and we're having that debate day in day out because even now three years on there are moments when people want to revert to type they want to go back to how it was
1: kevin linked to that i guess the nature of the business that you're operating in some of your changes are quite long term because you are here as a key enabler, I guess, of the UK in terms of how we move about and how we operate as a population. And therefore, a lot of what you're doing will be environmental in terms of shifting to electric vehicles, for example. And that's a long-term investment strategy that costs a huge amount of money. How are you helping the business to articulate that sort of long-term vision and balancing that with what's coming out as changes in the short term so as an employee if I was a bus driver or an engineer working in a depot how can I make the link between what's changing this week next week next month next six months versus that long-term goal because that's quite a tricky narrative to put across yeah
2: I mean we spent quite a lot of time, most probably about 18 months ago, working on, you know, you could call it our narrative, but our purpose and our values. And we're doing some more work around the alignment of our vision, our brand, our values, our purpose, so that we've got a, a really nice thing. So it is a long-term transformation. I mean, I think this is a way beyond what my expectations of being in the organization will be. I think this will be a most probably a 10-year transformation or a couple of years in. The people stuff will, will continue to move as part of that. Now, so, Let me go to the big picture. So what we talk about is ours is a big, big goal. It's about getting people out of cars onto bus. Right? It's about modal shift. And we're working with government, government helping to fund bus and do things quite creatively, working with local authorities and mayors about pedestrianization, about bus zones, about that. Because if we don't do that, we've got no chance of hitting our environmental targets by 2035. Our board went really early and committed us to zero carbon. So we're doing something which is really quite important. Now, a lot of our people think that's about buying new buses and putting infrastructure in our depots, which it is. But in reality, we have to talk about clean air and children and health outcomes that's one reason we're doing it and by the way we're trying to save the planet so you have to have a narrative and so we are trying to work really hard to create a story which is about our long-term aspiration but what it means for our people every day so we do talk about you know where we're going to refurbish when the new buses arrive we involve our staff in the design of the new buses and all of that sort of stuff so we try and get them excited but we have to keep talking about the narrative otherwise it's just a new bus and it has to be about more than that and we're doing quite a lot of work around social value as well so the point is this is a long-term systemic transformation but to move you have to have short-term activity you need to do so i can see things we need to be doing over the next two or three years which we haven't started yet so i just talked about team talks that is a frontline conversation between frontline manager and individual sets of 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 frontline staff we've got the catch-ups in I want a comms process to support it. We're going to update the app this year so that people get all of their work and their stuff on their phone. So, And that goes, and then what comes next? Well, I can see more some stuff we're doing around talent. We've just done a big leadership intervention with Lane 4EY around getting the top 100 leaders to work on this stuff, to work on the strategy, to understand the purpose so that it's in here. They believe it because we have to keep challenging ourselves and holding up the mirror. So vision, challenge, support. That's the leadership journey we're on.
1: Yeah, in terms of painting that end goal, I often talk about sort of painting the picture on the front of the jigsaw box so that people can see as every piece of the jigsaw lands, how it fits in and how it's taking you a step closer, I guess, and and what their role is in in making that happen. I guess, I know we're running out of time, Chris, so I I, I have one more (laughs) question, Kevin, and I always love talking to you and I have the pleasure of working with you on and off for a few years now. And, you know, you're incredibly commercially minded in terms of how you operate and the type of roles that you've had. Looking back over the last few years, of the transformation you've been part of been through major transformations right with a number of different companies what have you learned in the last couple of years through your first bus experience what would you say you would do differently looking back or what is the key lesson that you want to share with our listeners based on the experience you've had there because it's such a huge transformation there's so
2: much change really I suspect the thing that I think we most probably need to do differently or could have done differently would be the stuff about middle managers I think so it's the middle management population that I think is critical to this so I think we got the leaders brought in quite early and the C-suite and the MDs and we did the restructuring and I think we've done quite a lot to impact on the front line I think our frontline managers still quite they struggle they feel like they're the meat in the sandwich so I most probably would have done more earlier to get them on board and to give them the skills and capability and confidence because the people work for them they don't work for me or for the c-suite they work for them they're the people they see every day and and i and, and I, I sort of talk about this sometimes is you know when i used to walk into our depots people didn't say hello or how are you or what's going on or you know there wasn't that sort of informality and people used to sit in their cars rather than sit in the canteen to have their sandwiches and stuff so for me that's all about how we just treat people and the, the fundamental human part of business. And, and to do that, you've got to get people to understand why doing that's a good thing, because it's a, you know the right thing to do from a human perspective. But that's what delivers huge value for you. People feel part of it. They belong. They feel recognized. They feel listened to. They feel part of something. And if you get that right, then a lot of the other stuff sort of just happens. So most probably focus on the frontline managers a bit more earlier than we have done. But I mean, we're doing a lot. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and that's that's an interesting and a good way to kind of to end it, really. And that's certainly something that we've spoken about. What I might do is get our lovely producer, Brandon, just to put in the show notes a couple of examples of a few other podcasts that we've done. I know Kathy, you've spoken quite a lot around the people manager, line manager kind of uh, area. We've done a great pod with Anna Rasmussen and Debbie Mitchell from our team, where we talked about that fundamental and critical role that the line manager plays, not just from a, a one-to-one perspective, but as sort of the cultural beating heart of driving you know what experience is for individuals like a lot of it is the individual they're a big part of their experience is their relationship with their line managers
2: and i just want to say it, it's at the heart of the employee experience because you can get the facilities right you can give people great tech you can give them a great reward package but if the people they work with or the their boss doesn't treat them in the way that they think they should be treated doesn't listen to them doesn't ask for views doesn't ask for opinions doesn't engage them doesn't share the picture doesn't help them you know if it's not that type of environment, then the rest of it falls by the wayside. So it's at the heart of an employee experience. is about how you treat people day in, day out, every day.
1: A great plug for our holistic PX holistic, model, yeah, Kevin. <laughs> <saying the same laughs> it's such a He's not a pin. plant, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> such a linchpin, though, for the overall experience. And if that's not right, then a lot of the rest crumbles away, right? It becomes less, important, less relevant, less important if you can't get that right. Yeah. So really useful lesson learned. Thank you, Kevin.
0: Yes, thank you very much, Kevin. Kevin. Kevin, thank you, Cathy, as well, for helping me to quiz our uh, first bus chief people officer here today. You can, of course, get access to the whole of our employee experience campaign if you go to the Lace Partners website and just uh, do the lacepartners.co.uk forward slash exrevolution. You'll see everything about our uh, holistic model. You'll see a host of uh, videos. There's some stuff in there, really interesting stuff with Kat and Julian from our team. And they talk about this idea that, you know, what does the C-suite want from a data perspective? And a lot of what kevin as, as echo today so uh, once again kevin thank you very much for joining us it's been a pleasure and kathy always lovely to uh, co-host with you
1: yeah thanks chris and a massive thank you kevin i think that was hugely informative conversation loved hearing about the various transformations you've been part of
0: we hope our listeners we hope you guys listening and have enjoyed it as well and uh, we will see you next time on the hr on the offensive podcast bye-bye